Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the Watt. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back, everyone, to the Rotor Football Show. We are in the midst of the ongoing legal battle of Denny Carter and Patrick Darty. So I, Kyle Dvorak, am joined by staff writers Zach Kruger and Lawrence Jackson. And I, I think we may have had a winner in the legal battle. Uh, I would call it a celebratory post was posted on Denny Carter's Twitter account. And I would say, boots on the ground, it appeared disturbing. Zach, could you please describe the contents of what was a off-putting tweet, to say the least? Yeah, I mean, first of all, happy to be on here with you guys. But but the, the tweets have been coming from from Denny's account in particular have really just, I think, kind of left us all a little bit shook. And, and, we, and we know that he is someone who is prone to upset the Twitter sphere with food takes. Um, we've had all steak tastes the same. I believe he is a guy who is a big fan and only fan of a all-natural cake donut with no icing. But now the hummus time bit has stretched into not just hummus time, but plain old hummus time. Uh, he he posted to Twitter at the beach. Uh, it's just yet another bad looking food pick that Denny has polluted our timelines with. I, for, I, I'm a hummus fan myself. The number of different hummuses that we have out there, um, there's something with like red peppers. I, I'm a big fan of. I don't know if you guys are, are hummus consumers yourselves, but for a guy who just consistently throws out plain food takes, what are we doing posting plain hummus at the beach? Like, please spice it up a little bit. Yeah, this feels like it feels like he took the sand beneath his feet <laughs> put it in a bowl and then was like I'll, I'll add some water to it and that'll be the dish and I, I i also hummus is fine but at the beach lawrence at the beach is hummus like an acceptable thing to eat it's i gotta imagine it's 90 some degrees out he's like somewhere in, you know the east coast of north carolina or something is that like even legal maybe um i don't eat no hummus um, that ain't that that no hummus jars reside in the Jackson household. Um, so I would imagine that you know what I'm saying bringing it on a beach is even more uh criminal. But uh, you know I, I saw Dini this morning on the call. Um, he looked like he was going in on a hummus. He had he had a lot of stains on his shirt. So he he whatever the case is, he went in on the hummus, whether it was in the beach or the cabin house, wherever he was at, man. Uh. Good luck, Denny. Go, Denny. However, however you feel. Good luck, man. Denny was on a call with us this morning. Just regular run of the mill, like content planning type of stuff. And he had 
come in right from the beach. Credit to Denny for being on vacation and joins us for, uh, you know, he has the time off. He doesn't have to. But Lawrence is right. The poor man. Uh, once you once you hit the age of having kids, your body produces so much sweat once it gets above <laughs> 70 degrees. And it could not have been more apparent on Denny. Uh, we'll move away from our, our poor colleagues. They should be rejoining us next week for both shows. And we move into a little bit of news, frankly, which is a nice reprieve from uh, just the dead zone of, of summer. Really nothing normally happening until about training camp kicks off. But we've got some we've got some stuff to talk about, starting off with uh, Saints running back Alvin Kamara pled no contest to a misdemeanor charge stemming from a Las Vegas nightclub incident. Uh, he comes away from this incident without a felony charge. I think the Twitter sphere, uh, legal Twitter, took this as a slight positive for him. It takes off a lot of the really lengthy suspension outcomes. Seemed like the consensus, and I just completely speculating, roughly agree with that consensus, is that like four to six games, Lawrence, assuming, you know, assuming he misses some time because of this suspension, what are we doing with this backfield that right now is, I assume no one will get added. It's a well-paid Jamal Williams and a reasonably highly drafted Kendra Miller. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, as always, the Saints, even, you know, even after Sean Payton left, you know, they've kind of went with the, uh, you know, the multiple back system, the multiple back way, all of which, you know, obviously in Kamar's better days, it never hindered his production on the field as it, you know what I'm saying? It kept him fresh. It kept him scoring all those touchdowns and catching all those passes. So the Jamal Williams signing, I kind of see is, you know, he's that old version of, or he's the new version of the old Mark Ingram uh, in, in that offense. Kendra Miller, on the other hand, you know, uh, yeah, high, higher draft pick for a running back third round. Um, you know, as a rookie, he still got to get in there and prove himself and show what he could do. But it, but then again, Alvin Kamara did the same thing as a third round pick six years ago. On Alvin Kamara's case, though, I feel like now that we know kind of what's going on and you know it ain't going to be some – long Deshaun Watson type suspension you know um now it's kind of you're seeing it at a discount last year we saw when DeAndre Hopkins was suspended the six games we saw him go in rounds eight nine and ten and he paid immediate dividends as soon as he got on the field getting targets catches yards um so I don't know if it'll be immediate dividends for Alvin Kamara like that because even when he was playing, the production was tailing off. So, but it is a discount. Like I just saw him, you know, go Scott Fishbowl round nine or ten. So, you know, now that we know something, that'll probably bump up a few rounds. And it's really up to you if you want to take that risk, stack a couple of running backs beforehand, and you know, play with Alvin Kamara later and see what happens. For those who don't know, Zach also covers college football for us. Zach, do the skinny on Kendra Miller, who like I don't want to get over my skis on because I think Jamal Williams is a perfectly fine player. He was solid last year, scored a ton of touchdowns, but produced at about expectation. There's room for Kendra to be more than that. But Jamal's also like a really good Swiss Army Knight type player, great pass blocker. Before the time in Detroit, he was a great pass catcher in the Green Bay backfield. Is there room for Kendra to sort of carve his own path here? I'd, I'd like to think that Kendra can carve his path. I think it's really just going to kind of come down to what uh, we've already alluded to here, the possibility of a suspension and, and whether or not Miller is going to 
be able to separate himself from, from anything Alvin Kamara can offer um, if Kamara indeed has time away. Uh, Kamara, by all accounts, is still a pretty useful back for fantasy purposes. I, ha- I have it here. Um, he was an overall running back 13 in terms of points per game last season. It was his first finish outside of even the top 10 in PPR league. So uh, I think Kamara has, has always brought a lot to the table. We know that Miller is kind of that player who we think can serve in the Kamara role if it actually comes to that. He he caught passes during his time at TCU. He had a big season for them last year on the way uh, to an appearance in the national championship game. But if, if he's not able to separate himself from the pack in season if Kamara serves a suspension, then I, I think he's kind of just going to be the player who will probably more or less fall by the wayside. And, and you know, it's going to take Kamara, you know, missing time perhaps due to injury or Williams missing time perhaps due to injury to really kind of have him factor in from a fantasy perspective over the long term. I, I also think that even just speaking from a, a pure standpoint on how we view uh, running back committees, we, we, we're already trying to, you know, get the best part of a two running back committee. I think getting the best part of a three running back committee is obviously that much harder. Um, the one benefit to Miller could be that we should see a direct correlation to any potential rise in ADP for Kamara as a potential ADP drop for Miller, whose underdog ADP currently sits at 138.2. I mean, that, that could really come down pretty significantly as soon as any kind of word breaks that, that Kamara may miss time, I think, which then I think he's a, a nice value, particularly in best ball leagues. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if right now maybe isn't the best time to buy either of the backups because once once we get I, what I think will be the official sort of confirmation that it's not a lengthy suspension in six games, we could see people sour on Jamal and Kendra. So maybe a time to buy comes like a, a good value dip comes soon. Moving to New York, ESPN's Diana Rossini reports Saquon Barkley and the Giants remain at a stalemate with the deadline to reach a new deal approaching. That is Monday, July 17th. And she even floated the idea that he is up in the air for week one. Uh, just for a reminder, any tag, any franchise tag player who doesn't sign or doesn't sign and get offered a multi-year deal by that July 17th deadline either holds out and simply doesn't play or what I find to be the more likely outcome is that they just play on the franchise tag. Lawrence, is there like how, how far apart do you think these teams are? Cause I've always thought of at least in the past four or five years. Saquon is like the true heart of this team, even when he's injured. And on top of that, we saw them. I'm going to call it kind of capitulate to the Daniel Jones stalemate where I thought Daniel Jones got a really handsome contract where I know it a lot depends on, you know, the incentives he earns and how much guaranteed money it is. But even just the the flat sort of fancy numbers that may not pan out in reality of like 40 mil a year. I, I thought they did him well. They gave him the bag. Like, is Saquon going to get the bag or do you think he really is going to have to play on the franchise tag or does he not play at all? Um. I don't know whether he'll get the contract or not, but I don't think he'll hold out. I think he, you know, um, I, I don't think that'll be the play for him. Um, and I'm not, and not even to compare it uh, to the Le'Veon Bell situation. That was years ago, and he still ended up getting close to thirty million guaranteed after sitting out a season. But I, I don't think that'll be the play. I, I think he'll he probably grit his teeth and play on the franchise franchise tag just based on you know whatever I know about him um as the person in the player whatnot um if 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 we are shocked though and, and we see um and we see him hold out or miss some time rather which again I don't think that's gonna happen but if it does then we have to look towards the rest of the Giants offense starting that quarterback with Daniel Jones and we got to look at where his fantasy value lies. A lot of that rushing 
uh, that he was able to get last year off those read options is due to the fact that Saquon Barkley is alive and breathing. So it is <laughs> Saquon got tackled a lot more than the times he actually had the football, you know, because that's where defenders would uh, would go towards. And, uh, and now when you don't have that threat uh, in the backfield, that'll change things for not only – obviously the whole offense but it it'll start with uh daniel jones um i mean they they have a losing record without saquon barkley since daniel jones has been drafted and they do much better when saquon plays so again i think he'll play i'm not gonna change you know what like if i'm gonna draft him at the end of the first round that's where i'm gonna draft him like i'm not gonna change where i'm picking him in fantasy drafts his stock shouldn't fall even if he you know, misses a game or two, because that's all it'll take for the Giants to be like, all right, <laughs> we we got to do something. And their schedule, you know, it ain't easy starting off those first six weeks. All it'll take is two games for him to be like, all right, this is it was a similar situation back uh, with Emmett Smith about 25 years ago. Um, and all it took was two games like, all right, let's get this guy signed and get him on the field. But I think it's still all systems go for Saquon. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't know if he gets the contract. I mean, the way the landscape for running backs is moving, he's 26 this year, I believe, with a injury history and a lot of tread on his tires. Still think he's really good, but that's just a bad position for a professional running back to be in. Maybe the Giants really are going to play hardball, but even if they do, I totally agree with Lawrence that I just don't see a way that he holds out at this point in his career and misses like a, a what would probably be a crucial year in his career. So I think he stays, but it does bring up a good question of even if he does play, if he gets injured, this is a spot where the running back is so valuable on this team, not only to the team, but for fantasy purposes, they're getting a ton of work. Zach, is there a backup lean you have? I really think it's probably down between Matt Breida and Eric Gray, unless you have a, a third name. But I think both are interesting-ish options if we could maybe have a lean on one, though. Yeah, I mean, the lean is tough for me because I, I, I tend to focus more towards Eric Gray, just given that the workload that he handled during his days in college, both at Tennessee and Oklahoma, um, he, he didn't just rush for, for you know, 1,300 yards and 11 touchdowns last season. He also caught 33 passes for 229 yards with the Sooners for, for his career over four years. He had 99 receptions. So we know that Eric Gray can definitely um, not just take on a rushing load if it actually came down to it, but we know he can also catch passes as well. Uh, 99 receptions over four years is certainly nothing to sneeze at. Matt Breida just kind of feels like the guy where if you're taking him, you're almost taking him like a like a nepotism pick with the Giants, I would say. Uh, he came over from the Bills. Uh, he's familiar with, with Brian Dable and that offense, which I think was part of the reason they signed last year. Uh, and he's a guy who has, quote unquote, done it to some capacity or another in the NFL. Right now on Underdog, they're both, I mean, quite literally free, uh, which, I, which I find puzzling just given the current status of, of Barkley. Barkley's going as the, the running back six here on Underdog. Then you scroll down, you see Eric Gray going, uh, I guess, what's basically as like one of the last picks of the final round. And then Matt Breida at ADP slightly below his. So um, I think Gray would be my lean just from a youth and rushing ability standpoint. Brita is, uh, by all accounts, not young as far as a running back is concerned at the NFL level. And I think that even if he starts um, early on in the event that Barkley were to miss time, I wouldn't be surprised if Gray somehow eventually worked his way into a little bit more of a serious role, um, j just given, you know, again, the youth and, and what he displayed during his last year at Oklahoma in particular. 
Yeah, neither redraft plays, but maybe players you can keep your eye on in best ball. The last news nugget we have is Javante Williams said the plan for him is to be cleared by training camp. He was speaking off the cuff. He still mentioned that he has other medical evaluations to clear, and it's kind of up to the team if they deem him fit. So this is by far a, a sort of, you know, it's not a declaration of him being ready. But I'd say things are trending in the right direction, Zach. I'll, I'll go back to you. I, how high do we think Javante's ADP can climb? Because, like, you look at his stats from the previous two seasons. Last year was as a very partial season, I think four games. But he looks like one of the most elusive and efficient backs on the ground in the NFL. I know it's potentially an ugly offense. We'll get to them in a minute as we talk about underrated and potential breakout offenses. I will uh, once again be getting hurt by this team, I think. But uh, how high do we think his ADP can climb if we do actually get some positive buzz early in camp on him? Yeah, I mean, some positive buzz early in camp on, on Javante, I, th- I think, can really just raise his ADP, which currently sits at running back 29 right now. I, th- I think it's going to raise it somewhere close to at least, what, is the top 15 too crazy to to suggest? He caught 16 passes in four games last year for 76 yards, um, 204 rush yards per game. Or I'm sorry, <laughs> that would be actually insane. We should draft the number one overall if that's the case. 204 total rush yards last season in that limited sample size as well. Um, he, he's a guy who we saw dating back to his rookie season um, who can catch passes and, and be, a like you mentioned, a good, highly efficient contributor on this team. I think top 15 is certainly – um, within his range right now, which which would raise it by a, a handful of rounds, certainly. The the one vibe I kind of got with the Javante Williams news that broke um, earlier this week was the J.K. Dobbins vibe from last year, where I believe he said something to the effect of like, "You wait till you see what me and God have been up to," and you know, they, <laughs> they, basically yeah, that, that that was the line and, and something to that effect. And, and he was pretty much trying to act like the idea of him missing training camp was was a non-issue that he was going to be out the field right away everything was going to be good by J.K. Dobbins' Twitter um, opinion. And uh, we know that the thing that the season didn't quite go as Dobbins had suggested it would. Um, Williams being a little bit more optimistic on his overall availability to be ready for the season kind of gave me that J.K. Dobbins vibe. I hope it is um, the case. I hope that we, you know, we can see him out here sooner rather than later. But um, I, I, I'm definitely a little leery at this point in time. I'll, I'll wait to see how he tests heading into training camp and whether or not he's even able to get on the field before I get too high on that. Yeah, for me, um, you know, it's I, I saw the news and I'm just like, all right, cool, because like when you dealing with when you dealing with those injuries, man, like you you brought up that you brought up J.K. Dobbins. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely thought he was going to be like looking like Ohio State J.K. Dobbins week one. I do expect him to look like that this season because he's another year removed. And so I'm kind of feeling that same way for Javante Williams. Um, and, and this is like it's speaking of J.K. Dobbins, who, you know, him and Javante Williams are going, you know, being drafted in the same range. If both were healthy, I would still take a J.K. Dobbins. Uh, Javante Williams coming off that injury and being a running back who kind of like to he like to punish people. Um, I, I, I don't want them ones in fantasy. Like, it's cool. Again, I'll never say. I'm not going to draft him because the value could become good for anybody, any player. Once you get in the draft, you might get to a certain round like, oh, this double digit rounds, Javante Williams still here. Well, ah, let me click that draft button real quick on him. But, um, you know, Samaj P. Ryan, you know, where if you let 
if you let social media tell it, Samaj P. Ryan is coming off of a 2,000-yard season. So, you know, <laughs> but in seriousness, he is coming off, you know, one of his better years. Uh, so, you know, you got he, and he's going to be invo- he's going to be involved either way, you know. So uh, I, it, that's a tricky backfield. The offense got to get back right. They'll use multiple backs. That's what Sean Payton does. I do expect the Broncos as a whole to take a big leap forward. But I mostly feel that way in uh, in the passing game. If I could just add also, I did I did just look back real quick. Dobbins ADP last season on underdog was running back 24. And I think we were drafting him, obviously, with the injury concerns, but then also not with the expectation that he was going to be catching a lot of passes. So, so I do think, just revisiting the ADP question real quick, I do think that somewhere in the top 15, if at some point in time we see that Williams is healthy in training camp, is is certainly within his range of outcomes for his uh, where his ADP officially settles before the week, week one. We're going to hop into some underrated teams. We each brought one underrated team and one breakout team. You know, players may be values on the underrated teams and then the teams that we think can shape the fantasy landscape. But first, I want to remind you with the NFL season quickly approaching, now is the perfect time to get your Roto-World Fantasy Draft Guide. Get ready for your draft and stay one step ahead of your league during the preseason with updated player rankings, profiles, projections, mock drafts, and more. Go to NBCSports.com forward slash draft guide and use code DRAFT2023 to save 20% at checkout. Did you know Bridgestone developed a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials? Making a difference today for future generations. That's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All three of us on this show put in a ton of hard work on this magazine. I love how it came out. I love how Tony Pollard is the cover guy. So I love how it came out. I think you should check it out. Let's get into our underrated teams. Lawrence, you have uh, you have an underrated team that I really like, so go for it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, Atlanta Falcons, man. Um, well, and you know what's crazy? When you talk about underrated, I don't think anybody's underrating B. John Robinson. They're definitely not underrating him. No one's underrating Drake London. He's probably properly rated. And we know that what Kyle Pitts is and can be if he just stays healthy. Um, but I think still the offense as a whole is underrated because there's mostly a question to people about the quarterback position in Desmond Ritter and what he's going to be able to do. Well, I always tell people this, if if you're going to draft B. John Robinson and you're going to draft Kyle Pitts and you're going to draft Drake London, all three, those are pretty much, yeah, those are the three Falcons players that will get drafted. And 
at, at uh in, in fantasy, well, why not take a shot on the quarterback, especially a quarterback who last season, although he only started four starts, um, he got better each and every game. He didn't throw an interception. His completion percentage got better every game. So what what I saw from Desmond Ritter is that when he did get in there, he he wasn't scared of the moment or whatever the moment was at that time. Not like he was playing in a playoff game or something, but he got in, you know, he didn't wet his pants when he got on the center. He mm-hmm. did, you know, what he was able to do. Now, a lot of people might may feel like, oh, well, the 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 uh the offense is too uh run oriented to uh to succeed as an overall uh offense. Again, if you're if you're drafting Drake London and Kyle Pitts. How much do you truly believe that they were? Yes, they were the third best rushing team in football last year. And yes, they got one of the league's uh, best run blocking offensive lines. But when they made the switch from Mariota to Desmond Ritter, Mariota was averaging 23 passes per game as opposed to Desmond Ritter, who they bumped it up to 28 passes per game for him. So if you could stay in that range, you stay and, and it's not like we expect the uh, you know I don't think we expect the Falcons to jump out every game twenty five to zero you know what I'm saying so they'll throw they'll throw the ball more and they showed that a little bit once Ritter got in the game so I think that them playing in their own division which was the weakest in the league last year they also play against the AFC South. So you put those two things together, you put those weapons together. I expect Ritter to be a little better than what people expect. This will be de- this is definitely an underrated offense overall. Yeah, I draft a sick amount of Falcons. Lawrence, we really need you to get down there and get the team into shape because <laughs> uh, you know Drake London, one of the I believe the highest target share for a rookie wide receiver in the past twenty years. Kyle Pitts, the second most receiving yards for a rookie tight end as a rookie ever in the history of the NFL. And Bijan, I think one of the better prospects of the past decade, if not more. Like they have truly one of the best like running back receiver tight end combos in the league, and I think that gets so underrated because like Kyle Pitts, although he had literally one of the best rookie seasons for a tight end ever, which is incredibly hard because we talk about every year that uh, you can't draft rookie tight ends. They just don't do much. And they normally don't. That is normally correct. So for him to top a thousand yards, I think it's really underrated how productive he was, but he didn't pop for fantasy because he scored one touchdown that year. And maybe he's, maybe he's not a touchdown score, but I'm not going to look into two seasons, less than two, one and a half seasons of data and really uh, complain about him having the best rookie season ever. So I find myself draft, drafting a lot of Falcons. Zach, who do you find yourself as a team drafting a lot of as an underrated squad? So uh, this actually was uh, this, this question aligned perfectly with my team preview, which you can find over at NBC Sports on the 2023 New England Patriots and their outlook for this season. Um, we, we know from an offensive standpoint that last year, a lot of things went wrong for for the Patriots, the second-year quarterback, Mac Jones. Um, in particular, I, I've heard and then I witnessed that it's not good to not have an offensive coordinator for a quarterback who is, in fact, on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Matt Patricia and Joe Judge basically did this hybrid offensive coordinator advisor thing. We, we never really got a full uh, accurate description on what they were doing, but we know that they weren't leading anyone to – um, to, to offensive glory last season. We do know that. So that they are both gone. Uh, and, and then the Patriots went out and they hired Bill O'Brien, um, who 
is like very weirdly connected with Mac Jones. So I'm going to take you down this this rabbit hole a little bit. There's an article over on The Athletic by Jeff Howe that I think is really important to um, just Mac Jones's expectations and what we can maybe see from him in year three um, and how the Patriots offense may function as a whole. So on that article, um, Hal talks about O'Brien's connection to Alabama, Mac Jones, obviously from Alabama as well. When Mac Jones left for the NFL in 2021, that was actually Bill O'Brien's first year with the um, the Crimson Tide. So the two never actually uh, stood on the same sideline together in, in a game context. But when O'Brien joined Alabama, one of the things that Nick Saban had pointed out to uh, to, to O'Brien was, I really like what offensive coordinator Steve, Steve Sarkeesian, now with Texas, did with us during his time there. Sarkeesian and Mac Jones were together. Um, and, and O'Brien was basically asked to learn the offense. He said, hey, I want you to learn what we did here before so we can do that. I like the way that went. Mac Jones stuck around on Alabama for a little bit of extra time, actually helped teach O'Brien the offense that he would then go on to coach two years at Alabama. Um, they're, they're, two, they're two guys, who, even though they've never worked directly together on the field, they're going to speak the same offensive language, I think, conceptually. They're going to bring a lot of the same understanding for what they're going to do on offense together. And that, to me, just sounds like a lot better way to start a season than, you know, us posting blurbs about how no one on the offensive side bought the Patriots is really quite sure what they're going to do right now. Uh, the early reports have been good so far between O'Brien and Jones and, and the, the suggestion that they are already understanding each other and on the same page before training camp even starts, which I think just spells a lot of really great things for Mac Jones. If I touch on Jones in particular real quick, um, as much as I don't like throwing out what uh, you know stats and things of that nature, it was a hard it was hard to take what we saw in 2022 seriously from Mac Jones, just given the situation. I think 2021 Mac Jones is maybe what we can see um, some of in 2023, which and it may even be better than what we saw in 2021. But real quickly in his rookie season, Mac Jones over 3,800 passing yards, 22 touchdowns. He was 12th in quarterback um, grade over on pro football focus. He was 10th in EPA per play. Um, and and then he was quarterback 29 at 15.8 points per game. That part's not so stellar. We need to see an improvement there. But down the stretch of his rookie season, we also saw Mac Jones throw for two or more touchdowns in five of his last seven contests, which I think is obviously a great thing for fantasy. We like touchdowns. And if we have Patriots players who he's throwing to, all the better. Now, the the wide receivers um, here in New England, apologies to a uh, friend of the show, Lawrence Jackson's best friend, Juju Smith-Schuster. I'm, I'm not quite as high on Juju, I think, <laughs> as some people may be, and I'm, I'm open to a rebuttal from Lawrence at the end of this. Um, but but I do think that Juju can certainly step in and fill the, the slot wide receiver role that was vacated um, by um, Jacoby Myers now that he is with the Raiders. But my one concern that I have now with with – uh, Smith Schuster, as we head into this, is who the Patriots also brought in in addition to him um, to essentially, I think, also fill some slot work. And that is Titan Mikaseki, who we know was just, uh, if there's a Titan with a more down bad year, they're hard to come by. Mikaseki had an incredibly rough first go at it with Mike McDaniel last season. For a Titan who has two 700 yard seasons on his resume, he posted 32 catches, 362 yards, and five touchdowns. His catches and recept- receiving yards are both his worst since his rookie year. Um, and, and he decided, I have to get out of there. Um, Mike Kosicki is a mismatch nightmare in terms of the slot. The Patriots have already talked about that. And we know that that is where Juju Smith-Schuster likes to operate from. And we saw the slot be a profitable position for Jacoby Myers last year. He actually finished as the wide receiver 28 in a points-per-game standpoint. And because we know how volatile the tight end position is in fantasy, the one of the players who I'm high on who I think could outperform their ADP is, in fact, Mike Kosicki. Um, he's currently being drafted as a tight end 23. 
Uh, if he's pulling Juju off the field and stepping in as a slot himself and exploiting the mismatches that the Patriots are hoping to get out of them, I think that he has a chance to outperform his ADP um, and, and and perhaps become a player who we're, we're valuing late in drafts. So I really like the outlook for Gasicki. Um, obviously, I like the outlook for Mac Jones where he's going as quarterback 28, and I think his rookie season provides us a little bit of optimism. The only other player I want to talk, touch on here is a guy who I think could really outperform his ADP is Pierre Strong. The second year running back out of South Dakota State, Pierre Strong has 4.37 speed. He caught 51 passes for over 400 yards during his time in college. He also rushed for an absurd 3,900 yards and 36 touchdowns, were averaging seven and a half yards per carry at South Dakota State. As a freshman, he averaged over 11 yards per carry, which is just absolutely insane. And it wasn't on like five carries. He like like he saw a significant workload. Pierre Strong is an explosive player. Um, we, we obviously know that Ramondre Stevenson is going to be the lead back in that offense from a from a from a first and second down standpoint. I think he undoubtedly will lead the team in carries. But some of the receiving work that we saw from Ramondre Stevenson last year, while great for fantasy purposes, wasn't exactly um, efficient receiving work. If that's the word I, I, I'm going to go with here, um, Stevenson saw 89 targets last year, caught 69 balls. Um, and but some of the early rumors on Pierre Strong is that he is possibly going to see more work as a receiving back this year. Uh, we know that that is a position that's been great for uh, for fantasy managers and Patriots players in particular. Uh, we saw James White all those years become that kind of guy who we just relied on in PPR leagues. I think Pierre Strong has a chance to also outperform his ADP currently going as running back 63. So I, I think that in some ways we talk about slept on offenses and we talk about you know the exciting wide receivers, the, the the big name running backs. For me, it's Mac Jones of the Patriots. It, it's Pierre Strong who's going late, and then it's it's a tight end in Mike Gesicki who, if you can hit on a tight end late and he does well, um, you know you, it's going to pay off for you in fantasy drafts. So not so high on the wide receivers here, but I think there's other parts of the offense that could that are going late enough in drafts that could have have decent returns for us. You 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 feel like <clears throat> Mike Jasicki is gonna keep Juju off the field, their highest paid offensive player. <laughs> I, I can't rule it out. We we've seen the way that they that they tend let, to let, uh, let's pay Juju all this money, but take him off the field at at um nah um nah they I mean yeah they they're definitely the Patriots are definitely being slept on um their first four weeks. Eagles, Dolphins, Jets, and Cowboys, they might be in a coma after that. Like, which one of those games are they – like, which one of them games – it's going to be tough for them. Like, which one yeah. of them games are they winning? Uh, like, they play the NFC East. They play their own division. And then uh, NFC East had three playoff teams. AFC West had two playoff teams. Then they have their own division, which most people feel like they're far and away – the sorriest team in a division. It's gonna be tough for Mac Jones. That it's gonna be tough, man. I don't. I'm, I'm look. I just don't know where. Like, I, I definitely he think he can improve upon the 14 touchdowns and 11 interceptions. Mm-hmm. That oh my god. Um, it, it, it will be tough, I think, for Mac Jones. The Patriots, like you said, they do have one of the toughest schedules. But we've also seen how negative game script can also prop up. Certain players, particularly in the passing offense, uh, we we famously coined garbage time Blake Bortles over the years, as sure. the guy who was just surprising us with these these late game heroics. And and if they do find themselves down, then it, it could be a lot of checkdowns to to whoever ends up being the receiving back. It could be Mac Jones relying on the the intermediate targets in the slot. And 
you make a great point with Juju Smith-Schuster, but Juju Smith-Schuster also saw one of his more heavy receivings, heavy seasons last year with the Chiefs from actually playing on the outside. So I do think that there's a way for Sticky and Juju to kind of be interchangeable on this offense because we both know that they flourish in the slot. I think the Patriots clearly see that. Um, and I think really it could actually just come down to who sees more targets and, and where Jones prefers to target um, the, his receivers when they're both on the field together. Yeah, the thing with this team is they're just so cheap. They don't have a receiver going top 50 in amongst the receivers. They don't have a tight end going top 20. Their quarterback, Mac Jones, is sandwiched between two other quarterbacks, an underdog ADP, and Sam Howell and Desmond Ritter, who I think are at far greater risk to lose their job just based on the team's investment in Sam Howell and Desmond Ritter versus the investment in Mac Jones. So you look at how cheap they are. Bailey Zappi? Bailey Zappi came off the bench for this dude against the Bears. The Bears. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I feel like I, I, I do. I am a fan of Bailey Zappi. But what, <laughs> what did they spend? It's got to be. I'd imagine they it was like a six round pick or or fifth. I think Bailey was Zappi was. He was, was a fourth round. He was a fourth, he, he was yeah. a fourth round like pick. It. Yeah. Yeah, Good for yeah. him. Only only about a hundred <laughs> picks behind Mac Jones. That's yeah, good. which makes it even more crazy. It, it like, actually does <laughs> make it more crazy. <laughs> Well, look, if you want crazy, uh, my team is at least going to be worse than your guys' teams in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And uh, I'm not pinning them as a breakout team. I think this team is going to struggle, but I think we're underrating just how good the skill position players are. Since entering the league, Mike Evans is third in receiving yards. Since entering the league, Chris Godwin is 13th. And last year, they played in a way that was really conducive to fantasy points. I think uh, our, our colleague, rest in peace, Patrick Darty, he's fine, but he's not with us, uh, would say it was a PPR scam by some extent. And look, I'm totally willing to buy into a good scam. They were sixth in situation neutral pace. They had a plus 4% pass rate over expected. And I think a lot of that was just systemic to how they had to play football. They couldn't run the football. They weren't great at passing it, but it's at least good to have volume at a thing that's better. Like all things being equal, typically running is less efficient than passing. So they passed a lot. And their defense was fine, but it wasn't a defense that you could just say, we're going to run a ton and let them let them really handle the dirty work. I think that's probably the sort of situation they're pitching to hold in again. I think we look at what Baker did last year. It was justifiably terrible, but he also played for the first half of the season in a coach that would go on to get fired. And the second half on a team that I believe the Rams went 13 for 13 in their first 13 games, starting new offensive lines every single time. I think they got up to either 14 or 15 in different combos. He joined that team. He started and won a game, jumping off the plane and walking to the stadium. And they had they didn't have Cooper Cup at this time. So I'd, I'd argue it was one of the least productive, least talented receiving cores. And he wasn't good, but he did improve in a bad situation. And looking back, you have to look back a little bit, I admit. But in 2020, he was a legit good player. He was 10th in CPOE, 9th in EPA per play. He was a player who we were like... Falling over our falling over our faces to be like, oh, this is the next up and coming team in the AFC. Do I think he's good? Probably not. But can he be <laughs> like 16, 17 game starter, distributor level type of player? Now his offensive coordinator, Dave Canales, I believe is how you say his name, is the guy who unlocked Gino. And maybe it turns out he's the guy who unlocked Russell Wilson. Like, this is a decent situation for a quarterback, and it's really talented receivers. So I just think they're cheap. That's why I have them underrated the same way that I actually like the Patriots an underrated team. They're so cheap. And at least the receivers on this team, they're talented. 
Yeah, yeah, nah. Um, I'm definitely with you in fa- uh, well half of that at least. <laughs> what 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 Zach said about uh, what Zach said about you know the Patriots possibly being in negative game script and being able to you know get the passes off, check down, and what have you. Uh, I kind of see that more so happening for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because um, Baker's definitely good for that. Now, I will say I was not one of those people who when the Browns got Odell, I wasn't like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, nah, that would y'all didn't know me back then. But trust me, it's online. I was not with that. Anywho. <clears throat> um, but yeah, no, nah, I, 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 I just drafted um you know mike evans and i would love to draft chris godwin now speaking of you know guys who might lose their position do you think it's out of the question that we ever see kyle trask no it's definitely not out of the question we could totally see kyle trask (laughs) so you know baker's baker's like a last round best ball say you got uh say you got uh two of the guys past adp you got mike evans and chris godwin past adp you made a pretty reasonable bet on Baker getting them there. And no, like Baker's going undrafted most of the time. So I like him as like a sneaky yeah. super flex or back of the end of the best ball. But this is uh, for most people, it's maybe by the bucks for best ball sickos. Sure. Yeah, I've taken I, I, Baker. I, I, I'll apply the same logic to this. If we're drafting Mike Evans, if we're drafting Chris Godwin, even when I don't like the quarterback as much, I will apply the same logic. If we draft in the two receivers and the running back, then, you know, hey, who's delivering them the ball? You know, maybe it comes with like two or three interceptions um, and a lot of roll lefts and throw out of bounds. But, hey, somebody throwing them the ball. And, and right now it's Baker Mayfield. Baker is the ultimate roll left throw across the body linebacker is sitting there. He, linebacker's like, he's not going to throw this. Is he, he throws it. He absolutely throws it. <laughs> but Hey, like I, I could see, you know, he has to survive getting benched. Uh, but I could see it being Jameis Winston levels of like, this guy makes mistakes, but he does have like the physical tools and the talented receivers to get fantasy points on the board. Even if they're not getting maybe a ton of real life points. So we will now move on to our breakout offenses. These are the true stars. So I'm fine going all in on these teams, betting that they're the ones that shape the fantasy landscape relative to like, of course, you know, the chiefs are expensive. They're going to, they break, you know, break out every year. They're the best team, but they're expensive. These teams may not be as expensive, but could put up, let's not say chiefs numbers, but put up big numbers. But first let's get into, I want to let you know where to watch MLB this weekend. The Giants face the Pirates once more in Pittsburgh. Both teams looking to move up in their divisions, but only one can rise Sunday morning. Watch MLB Sunday leadoff live at 1130 Eastern exclusively on Peacock. I played this game on, I think we recorded Monday with uh, Lawrence, and it's not as fun to play with you, Zach, because I always ask Denny and I ask Lawrence when we're on together, who's your favorite? Who's your favorite baseball player on any team we're talking about? Uh, but you actually watch baseball. Who's the most yeah. obscure player on either of these rosters? Uh, man, can, can I see? Can I see the graphic again? I'm sorry, I zoned out looking for my. We got mind. Giants, Giants, and Pirates. Lawrence for reference. Uh, Lawrence for reference. New Andrew McCutcheon did not know that he at one point left the team and luck boxed into him <laughs> guessing Andrew McCutcheon. Uh, give me, give me the most obscure player. I'll see if I I, I grind the MLB DFS so. Who's the most obscure player? See if I've heard of him. 
We won't go too obscure, but we'll go with a, a guy who's who's certainly doing good things here. What, what's your all's file on Jack Sawinski of the of the Pittsburgh Pirates right now? Do we do we have a file on Jack Sawinski right now? He's an outfielder. He is an outfielder. Yes, he's he's. Yeah, uh, I, I, I feel like that guy lived down the street from me. Yeah, <laughs> there's a good chance he does. Yeah, he, he's a, he's an outfielder <laughs> for the Pirates. Uh, he he's I believe a left-handed slugger sitting at 19 home runs at the uh, at the All Star break. Um, one of those guys who it's pretty much boom or bust every time he's at the plate. You're, you're either going to get a strikeout or he's going to hit the ball over the defense's head and uh, put a few runs on the board. So we'll go with Jack Sawinski as the obscure, but still a, a guy who you might know out there. Hey, I like it. I knew him. Speaking of uh, a boomer bust uh, offense in this case, Lawrence, who do we got for the breakout star offense of 2023? Yeah, you just mentioned it. A team that's a little cheaper that could produce Kansas City-ish type uh, production and I feel like all around the Cleveland Browns is going to get to that level they're going to uh you know I mean I guess well I don't know if they'll bounce back because I don't know if they ever was there um mm-hmm. but they're gonna bounce uh this season in that tough AFC North um you know how sometimes people like to say hey man just throw away that season because it actually never happened. Well, I'm not going to say that because those six games that Deshaun Watson played with the Browns where they was all types of out of sync, Amari Cooper production went down when Watson got back in. Don't throw it away. Remember it. But what I believe this season is they're going to use that, learn from that, work on that. Deshaun Watson will get back to being a top-tier quarterback in real life and fantasy him being the quarterback 15 in the six games he played, it's nothing to cry about, but it could have been a lot worse. Aaron Rodgers, for example, was quarterback 23 on a points-per-game basis, and he played a whole season with, with, with receivers he had been playing with throughout training camp. Watson, he's got time to acclimate his his little situation or whatever. That's I guess that's behind him, so now he's – He's getting a chance to like actually be a quarterback again. And the last time that happened, he led the league in passing yards and was a top five fantasy quarterback. You bring in Elijah Moore, that can only help you. Putting him with Amari Cooper and uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, who I think DPJ is underrated in his own right. We've seen him have a nice five, six-game stretch last season where he went for 70 yards every game. You got David Njoku, who will be a solid tight end. I'm not going to say, oh, well, he's a tight end one. We know that. But being a tight end one isn't really, you know, a glaring endorsement from the tight end position. He is one of eight tight ends from last season, though, to average double-digit fantasy points per game. Now, while he did disappear at some points, I think, like I say, the consistency with the offense being together as a whole will get this team into – will get this team to contention, and they're going to give the Bengals some trouble. They're going to give the Ravens some trouble. Like, they'll be in that mix. So I I think they'll break out this season. I I didn't even – I didn't even – I I didn't mention Nick Chubb because I just assumed we know he's a dog, so (laughs) I didn't mention Nick Chubb. I mean, but, you know, he'll get more touches because no more Kareem Hunt, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think the potential for Nick Chubb to catch passes. I don't I don't know if that's how they use him. Uh, like maybe that is a sort of set in stone. He doesn't do much pass catching work. And that's just a sort of a fixture of who he is. But the potential is there for him to make the leap from a guy who every fantasy analyst, as Danny would point out, as soon as you say Nick Chubb, 
best pure runner guys. I, I promise. I know he's the best pure runner. I've seen him. I promise. I watch football. Uh, where you go from that, you have to make that caveat because you're talking about his role and his volume. Maybe we don't. Maybe we don't have to do that anymore. We can say, like, oh, he's just one of the best fantasy backs because if he adds that pass-catching element to his profile, I mean, that's how he enters the echelon of, like, the, the Jonathan Taylor best seasons, the Saquon Barkley best seasons. So really interesting to see what they do with him. Probably, also, probably yeah, probably be the best running back, sorry, if he got to catching the ball. Yeah, I think he at least gets to challenge for that in the way that, like, when you see, like, how how far Derrick Henry has to go in terms of his rushing production to match, you know, CMC, Austin Eckler. You don't need a ton of pass-catching production if you're a Derrick Henry-level runner. And like I said, every fantasy analyst will tell you he's on that level. Just on the offense in general, offensive co- coordinator Alex Van Pelt talked about the offense being more explosive in the passing game this offseason. It's also rumored that they'll be running more three-wide set. So I think, and obviously, they've invested so much in both the pass-catching game and trading Elijah for, trading for Elijah Moore drafting Cedric Tillman, and a year ago, getting Deshaun Watson. I could see the Browns finally being an aired-out football team. Zach, do you have any takes on the Browns right now? Yeah, well, I, I do have just one thing. I, I love Lawrence's take overall on this team. Uh, one thing that I had looked up earlier this year when I was doing uh, – I, I was writing about Washington Commanders quarterback situation, looking at Jacoby Brissett. Did you know that in the 11 games that Jacoby Brissett started, the Browns actually averaged 23.9 points per game, which was – the same amount of points per game that the ninth highest scoring offense in the league last year was posting in the Seattle Seahawks. I don't, I'm not going to rattle off the teams above them, but we know that if you're in the top 10 in scoring, that's a good thing. I think the Sean Watson, obviously just being away from the game is going to, to, to hurt him and, and the offense, the moment he gets on the field, but Lawrence makes a great point And that now Watson's got a year under his belt, obviously is more acclimated to the offense as a whole. Um, he's back to playing football. They added Elijah Moore. If, if the potential with Jacoby Brissett under center is 23.9 points per game, a top 10 scoring offense in the league. You really do have to ask yourself, what is this offense capable of with a, with a back maybe better than ever, Deshaun Watson throwing the football around? Uh, and I, th- I think Lawrence is spot on with this take. So I, I like the call. I thought the Jacoby Brissett uh, point was just something interesting to throw in there because I was surprised when I first saw it. Moving on to my team. I alluded to them earlier. It's my poor Denver Broncos. Look, <laughs> fool me once. Shame on you. <laughs> You're certainly going to get the opportunity to fool me again because I like me some Broncos this year. I think, I mean, I, I my opinion is that we will look back on last year on Nathaniel Hackett and hopefully this year re- revealed just how poorly coached of a team they were. And they had so many of the telltale signs of a team that just was not led well. I, Russell Wilson played poorly, I admit, but we've seen him under strong leadership be one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the league. But last year, that wasn't the case. In some very basic stuff, they had a negative pass rate over expected. They were average in pace, situation neutral pace, despite being a team that like clearly needed some spark on offense. And then they were just comically penalized. 11th in delay of games, 5th in false starts, 7th in holdings, 4th in offsides. They were making basic peewee league football mistakes at such a high clip. And they had the talent to make things work in the past two years Cortland Sutton has ranked 11th and 23rd in ESPN's open score last year despite playing on a terrible offense Jerry Judy was top 15 in yards per route run and leading into last year Russell Wilson was historically one of the most efficient quarterbacks we had ever seen since 1999 we have 124 quarterbacks with at least a thousand dropbacks even including last year and the year before that in Seattle when he wasn't quite the Russ we were used to. He wasn't last year's Russ, but he was maybe on that path. 
he still ranks first in completion percent over expected and 19th in EPA per play. Now he gets Sean Payton as a head coach. In 15 years as a head coach, Sean Payton teams finished outside the top 12 in yards or points as a team in one single season. One of 15 times they were not a top 12 in both. And that was the final year under Sean Payton in which Ian Book, Taysom Hill, and Trevor Simeon combined for 10 starts on that team. I mean, I'm going to forgive him for that one. I get he had Drew Brees for all the other ones, although end of career Drew Brees was a spot maybe like right now where Sean Payton had to tease out the maximum he could get from Drew Brees at the end. And yeah, we need someone to help bring out the best in Russell Wilson. But we've seen Sean Payton do that for his quarterback before. So I am excited based on, again, the talent around the quarterback, as we kind of talked about with some other teams. But we know the talent has been there for the quarterback on this team. So I think there's completely a path at a much cheaper cost this time around for the Denver Broncos to be the breakout team of 2023. I'm, I'm with you there, man. I don't have much to add to that, but I, they, I think they'll like the Browns. They'll, uh, they'll give the Chargers and the Chiefs a run for their money. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm with you, Kyle. I, I, I like the Broncos' as a potential breakout, too. I do think that the Sean Payton uh, addition is just something that we can, we can truly factor in with just what we've seen with him do with the Saints over the years. And, and I think, too, that Russ doesn't necessarily even have to get back to being the, the kind of elite caliber player that we saw in Seattle. If we can even just get him back to like being a, a middling top 12, top 10 quarterback um, from a fantasy perspective, I think that's going to raise the ceilings of a lot of the guys who we like who, as you pointed out, were taken later in drafts. Um, so, so I, I like that take as well. Zach, bring us home. Final breakout team for 2023. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'll bring you home. I'm sticking with the whole offensive coordinators, um, knowing what they're doing might possibly be good for fantasy purposes <laughs> argument. Um, in this case, we have the Los Angeles Chargers, who I'm riding with as a breakout offense. Uh, out is Joe Lombardi, the former offensive coordinator in is Kellen Moore, the former Dallas Cowboys offensive coordinator. The, the crazy, do you ever just like think sometimes about like a certain coach or maybe another situation in life where if someone lets you go or you see someone let go and you find out they were picked up the next day that maybe the person who made the decision to let them that other person go made the wrong call. Kellen Moore was let go by the Dallas Cowboys on January 29th. By January 30th, we had a report that the Chargers were hiring Kellen Moore. If, if you want to talk about just the absolute mind meld that might go down in Los Angeles this season between Moore and head coach Brandon Staley, um, I, I think this could lead to a lot of fantasy goodness. Uh, just real quick, McCarthy, Mike McCarthy of the Cowboys basically said the idea that Kellen Moore wants to light up the scoreboard, chuck the ball around. He, he, he talked about it as a bad thing. Mike McCarthy must not play fantasy football. We do. This is a fantasy football podcast. I want Kellen Moore to be on an offense that he just wants to light up the scoreboard. Um, the, the, over the last three seasons when he was in Dallas, the Cowboys were 20th, 8th, and then last season re regressed all the way to 26th in early down pass rates. Over that same span, Brandon Staley and his crew were um, chucking it at a 57.2% rate, then they increased it to 57.5% in 2021, and then they rose all the way into the top 10, probably even the top 5, at a 60.9% early down passing rate. Brandon Staley is dying to air it out with 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 Justin Herbert and and his receivers. Um, th this is a this is a guy who is you know he's part of the analytics movement. We 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 think we know this. It just hasn't quite worked out for Brandon Staley early on in some of the ways that we hoped it would. But I, I think it has a chance to work out for Kellen Moore um, now on the staff here. Uh, last year the Chargers were actually 13th in points per game. 
Uh, we know that they're capable of being a, a lead offense in, in these regards and going well above 13th in points per game. Um, last season, Justin Herbert, I believe he finishes the quarterback seven last year. This year, um, he's being drafted as such on underdog fantasy. He actually had a quarterback two overall finish in points per game in 2021. So we know the ceiling for Herbert is that of an overall quarterback one in fantasy among qualified active quarterbacks for his career. He's 10th in EPA per play. We obviously like that. Uh, he, he has wide receivers, Keenan Allen, and Mike Williams, who have at large flourished um, under Herbert. I would say the biggest downside for each of those receivers is their health. But when we've seen them active long enough and, and playing and, and operating at a high level, Keenan Allen has finished sixth, 12th, and 12th in fantasy points per game with Herbert on the center. That's obviously good. He's currently going as a wide receiver 19 on underdog. Mike Williams is currently going as a wide receiver 24. His best finish with Herbert was wide receiver 16, which also came in 2021. Um, we, we've seen this offense just put up big numbers when, when everything is clicking, when everyone is healthy, um, and it's all systems go. Uh, the the Cowboys, when, when they were throwing at their highest early down pass rate under Kellen Moore in 2021, they were first in, in total points per game in the NFL, 31.2. Dak Prescott was a QB six. They had Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb, both top 20 wide receivers there. And then surprisingly, Dalton Schultz is a tight end five in 2021 when the Cowboys are chucking it around. That could spell good things for Gerald Everett, who's coming off a career high himself with a tight end 17 finish in points per game. Maybe they find a way to get him more involved. And then, you know, the, Lawrence didn't want to mention uh, Nick Chubb. We know what he's capable of. I'm not going to touch too heavily on Austin Eckler. He's being drafted as the running back, too. We know what he offers at, from a receiving standpoint. We know that he is a lead option. He was the overall RB1 last year. So um, I, I, I think that where some of these guys are being drafted, particularly the wide receivers, particularly Herbert, there is room for this offense to grow um, it, You know, together. Quentin Johnson, another rookie to add, that he's going to just only bolster their overall three wide receiver sets. And I think that for an offense that was throwing a 60% rate last year, if Kellen Moore even says, hey, we want to we want to throw it 60% again this year early on, then, then I think that the sky is going to be the limit for this offense. The question is going to be, can they stay healthy? I know, Lawrence, you're not as high on this team as, as clearly Zach is. And I don't – probably not as high as – I am either, though I'm probably somewhere in the middle. So, Lawrence, go ahead, destroy him. Take Zach and destroy yeah, him. Yeah, I need it. <laughs> you're, you're on mute, Lawrence, but go ahead. <clears throat> I mean, nah, good luck. You know, um, they threw the ball 41 times a game last year. That's a lot. for it. So, I mean, um, and Justin Herbert did finish as a quarterback, too. But to be specific, he was quarterback 15 on a points-per-game basis. I, I, I do think he uh, – I don't know. Maybe he improves that this year. I just don't know what changed much, uh, you know, because if they try to light up the scoreboard, right? This is my question, Zach. If they try to light up the scoreboard, if they chuck it down the field more. Now, you mentioned Austin Eckler being drafted as the running back to finish RB1 last year. That's in part because he caught a career high 107 catches on 127 targets. So, if they throw in the ball deep more, then not that. What I'm saying is it could be great for Herbert, but it would have to make somebody's got to suffer there because like, you can't expect, I would think, Austin Eckler to catch another 95 passes if they're throwing more deep balls, which are uh, lower percentage throws to complete, then, that, then all those dump-offs which Justin Herbert led the league in last year, check downs with 82. Um, 
that's going to suffer if they indeed go try to light up the scoreboard with their new uh, best offensive coordinator of all time who called a play where Ezekiel Elliott was the center, Kellen Moore. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm going to say I'd be fine with seeing a, a, a few – uh, uh, the, the tone down just a little bit on the Austin Eckler targets. I mean, I, I think he Cause it could still be best. good, right? It, like yeah. 80 is good, right? Well, yeah. Well, I, and I, when I, you look at, when you ahead, look at his production on a per target basis, uh, he's a good running back at earning targets and catching passes, but he earned like substantially fewer yards per target than Gerald Everett, even mm-hmm. fewer than Josh Palmer, DeAndre Carter, and you go up and it's just farther and farther away. Not to say he's not good at what he does, but what he does, he doesn't move the chains nearly as much as a Mike Williams, even on a per target basis or a Keenan Allen. And I want to see the offense do more. And also if you're passing more, you are moving the chains more. You're going to give him lighter boxes because he wasn't an extremely efficient running back on the ground last Mm -hmm. year. What he did best was he gets in the end zone and he catches passes give the tiny man some lighter boxes by throwing farther down the field. Like, please help everyone out. Help me help you. So I think it's possible. They kind of remind me of where the Dolphins were last year, where they've added talent for Tua. And we've seen Tua be, up to that point, a very limited player. He was like the most usage of RPO among any quarterback. And they used RPO to help move the ball farther downfield. He was like gimmicky in a sense. And that's not something Mike McDaniel's offense in San Francisco had done. But then they moved away from that and found new ways to maximize his skill set. They still use a lot of play play action. They still use a lot of pre-snap motion, but they didn't limit him in the way that we see maybe Justin Herbert is being limited by all of these check downs to Austin Eckler, all these checks down to his receiver. He has the physical tools to move past that. Does he move past it? I truly have no clue. It could be Mm -hmm. something that that's the style he plays. He could be a check down guy. But I, I at least think this is a team that has the potential for a breakout based on his talent, the team's talent around him, and maybe a philosophical change. Does it happen? I don't know. It's certainly possible it doesn't, but they remind me of the teams like the Dolphins in years past where they almost have two paths ahead of them. One of them is the guys are almost unanimously overpriced, and one path is a true breakout. So excited to see what we get from them. Excited to see what we get from this show next week as we look toward the return, I assume, Denny winning the legal battle stays on as a NBC man. So we should see both him and Patrick Darty rejoining us next week for both shows. So myself for Zach Kruger and for Lawrence Jackson, thanks for tuning in, subscribe, find all of our team previews and we'll catch you next week. While no one knows what tomorrow may bring Bridgestone is working toward a more positive outlook. With innovations like developing a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials. It's just one of the many ways Bridgestone is making a difference today, for generations to come. Because that's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.